Today's episode was a Q&A special where my wonderful listeners have been kind enough to send me questions and I've answered them. We covered a whole range of topics from what do I do if I'm running a video business but I'm under lockdown to how to sell retainers effectively and then how to maintain client relationships and what can I do to put myself out of business so I can emerge from this virus lockdown leaner, stronger and ready to take advantage of the new economy that waits for us. Hope you enjoyed it. Any questions, please get in touch. And if you've got any voicemails, leave them for me and I promise to answer them in upcoming episodes. Thank you. Hi, Thad. So a couple of questions, really, um, I think, in relation to all of this. Firstly, I think it would be interesting to know your thoughts on how to adapt as a brand to the kind of situation with coronavirus. For people like me, filming video, obviously, there's a lot of issues there around what we used to do, filming case studies, filming product videos, or, or filming videos in cafes and bars and restaurants, etc. we can't do anymore. So it's interesting to know what your thoughts are on how a brand can kind of pivot to A, change its identity, but B, also how it can be kind of sell that product at a time when people are tightening their belts. Um, likewise, really, how does a freelancer deal? I'd be interested to see your thoughts around writing contracts, etc., and how a freelancer can make sure that at the start, when things, for example, get cancelled, postponed in light of these sorts of situations, how they can deal with that. So, Joe, you talked about how does a brand like yours adapt to these situations, and obviously the virus is on everyone's mind. I think, firstly, you've got to look at it this way. Obviously, video is your thing, and that's filming video, but there's lots of other skills that go alongside that. So there's also, like, editing and presenting giving advice on how to sort of you know look better and talk better into camera um, promoting your video thumbnails all that kind of stuff so there's probably other skills that you offer alongside simply filming that you could help other people with and the reason why I mention this is I'm going to go towards what if people sent you footage or what if people sent you things that you could film from your home studio and then you don't even need to see them now, by this, I'm talking about ads. So there is a website called EconVids, and their business is based purely on people. Basically, it's um, they do ads for online stuff for Amazon, and you know, so it's Instagram ads to sell stuff on Amazon. And the way their business works is quite simply: it's all productized, so you pay for an ad. It's set price. There is a set process. And they send the product to these people who film it in their studio. So they pay friends and actors to act it out. They write all the scripts and get it approved. But the beauty of this is they're based in L.A., I think. And they have people from all over the world sending them products. All they have to do is film and edit it and put it against the approved script. So I'm thinking, you know, if you're stuck at home and you can't go out and you've got all the skills, this is where those other skills come in handy. Because if you can say, look, you send us your product, tell us why it's great. We'll write a script, we'll send that back to you, get it approved, we'll then record the script, we'll film um, you know, the ad and there'll be a templated kind of approach, you know, the usual kind of stuff. We'll film it all from inside our studio, we'll send it back to you to approve and then when you're happy with it, we'll send you all the files and you can promote it yourself. So that way you don't have to go anywhere, you have all the equipment and people send you stuff. Now the best way that this works is they've built their website so that people can order it. it's like an e-commerce site so everything is explained and all people do is go yeah i want that package click and they buy 
And the clever bit is they will get their money back by offering a standard package for a fairly low price. They will pay extras for upsells, like you order a Domino's pizza and you want extra toppings, it costs more. This is where you get to claw back that money by offering voiceovers, captions, uh, edits in different qualities, master files, edits for different social media platforms, um, captions, graphics, all that kind of stuff. If you bundle all that in, then you'll be able to sell them something for a higher price. And that's where the journey really begins because once they've done one video with you you can then cross sell them more services as well as because you've already upsold them stuff and that way they might go look on your next video if you buy three videos from us you get uh, a you know a discount if you refer us to someone else both of you you and them get a discount and now what you're doing is you're changing the game because instead of having to go to the business and film the business is coming to you and the more formulaic and more productized you can make this service the less wastage there will be and all you've got to do is adjust your prices. So as long as they can buy from you without having to contact you, you can be making money when you sleep. So this would be a product I would offer. Uh, I'd probably partner with someone who's good at selling. So we both know Richard Woods. He's an excellent salesman. He could offer this as a service. He could help you kind of do salesy scripts. He probably knows people who could perform on camera. And therefore you can be selling products which people will invest in because they can see a return on it because they know they're shipping it from probably overseas and they're making a big markup. All they need to do is basically say, look, people on social media, a huge amount. You can sell your product with us. We'll handle it all remotely and then you'll be happy. So that would be the first thing I'd kind of consider. Could I set up a kind of e-com business where I film everything from a home studio and I film like mini ads that are kind of different types of ads? So you might have like a kind of testimonial ad, uh, a demonstration ad, a kind of how it works ad, a behind the scenes, a review ad. I'm sure there's lots of different kind of formula formats that would work. Um, you just got to look at something like QVC and how they do stuff. That's the same approach. You could become the QVC of your house and have everyone ship their products to you. The flip side is you can then talk about how to market your products. And that's where you can partner up with other businesses that do Facebook ads, SEO, all these other kind of marketing approaches. And then you can sort of partner with them to bring them into your kind of customer ecosystem to teach classes on how they can sell their products better and vice versa because if they're selling ads to people like how we'll teach you how to run facebook ads to sell your products on you know your e-commerce stuff what do they need they need video content of their products to create the ads to then sell it so then the advertising people can then partner and refer you to their clients because you're going to make the videos so i do think it's a point of collaboration it's it's a reframing your business model so that you productize it so they come to you effectively and they send you stuff the other thing is people will be creating their own content from home so they're filming themselves this is when you get a chance to kind of go i can edit all that for you so although it's not filming it's editing but you could absolutely you know say to people look turn your knowledge into a course that you can give away to your clients you know sell your education sell what you know start an online course whatever that might be you teach them how they can film themselves how they can record themselves how they can make that sound amazing then they send the files to you you edit it into modules and they upload it to Kajabi or Teachable or Skillshare or whatever and now they're making money on a course. So again, if you're teaching people how to make courses and then they send the content to you, you just edit it and then you send it back all edited in modules and they do the rest. But again, what we're looking at is trying to get other people to either send you their products or send you their footage and then you're going to package that for them in a way that they can sell it to make money. And in this time... Although, yes, people are, you know, are under lockdown and there's a virus and they're anxious, 
this is the time that businesses need to diversify and look at other ways of making money, particularly by generating online revenue streams. So if you're putting out articles telling people to take a second look at online video and what it could do for their business, that's a great way to get people interested into giving you content so they can create courses or selling you products that you can make ads from. And that would be my kind of response of how we respond to this kind of situation in a crisis. Your other question was how do freelancers respond and what do we do about handling this? The answer is always to have good savings, a nest egg that's going to see you through. And it's probably having conversations with your clients because nobody planned for this and we're all suffering. But certainly I would look to kind of double down and go and see your clients and speak to them and offer to help them. And it might be a case of you can have a contract where they do a payment plan where you might say, well, look, I could help you launch an online course, do an ad for your product. And instead of charging you £500 up front, how about we make it £100 a month over five months? That way you can get making you can start making a return on the product that I'll do for you. And then you can pay me as the money comes in, because in my opinion, I reckon in about two to three months, this will have passed. People will be coming out of this crisis and they're going to remember the people that stuck by them, helped them out, gave them a deal. And if you can sign up business now and then be working, you know, staying busy enough to get a few jobs through the door. Not only is that kind of going to build loyalty amongst you and your customers, but that consistent revenue stream of retained income and, and payment plans is going to really help you in the future. But I think with all these things, you've kind of got to be human and discuss it. You might want to factor in stuff in your contract about, you know, um, unforeseen circumstances and how that affects delivery and timing and all that kind of stuff. But ultimately, we've all been caught out by this. So we all need to kind of come together and try and help each other. And like I said, I think the intent of trying to help people um, is going to be better for you. And I, that, would, that is simply by going and asking them, what are you struggling? What can I help you with? And then let's try and work out a way that you could pay for it that isn't going to affect your kind of mental health or your personal finances. And that's where I would start. But it's going to be much easier, ironically, to kind of apply the thinking I talked about in the first bit, which is where you create this this sort of opportunity to sell stuff online and you handle it all because you present them with a package that makes a lot of sense to me to kind of start there and then start selling that to your clients by giving them ideas of what they could be doing and then selling in your package on a payment plan so that they can take advantage of that now get a little bit of money in the door for you and then they can spread word and you can keep growing like that and that so hope that helps hi sad my question for you today is how do you sell and position retainers? Because I know that pricing uh, retainers and selling retainers is one of the most effective ways to grow your business because it grows your recurring revenue. But my question for you is from your experience and from your career, what is the most effective way to sell retainers to your clients? Thank you. Hi, Alex. Thanks for the question. I think with retainers, it's always a bit tricky because both parties need to feel that they're both getting something from the working relationship. Um, too often it kind of will, you know, there's a tendency for it to go in either direction where one party will feel they're getting a hard deal. So I think when it comes to retainers, it's probably based on what you're selling and the type of service and then what type of retainer you are selling to those customers. So here's my thoughts on kind of ways to do it. Um, I think probably the easiest way is to look at what your core offering is uh, and whatever that is that you've done for the client. And then I would break down additional offerings that you could do 
and then I would build them into kind of um, a schedule so that you are offering a new service every, say, six to eight weeks sort of thing, or maybe two to three months, depending on what you do. And this way, instead of it being a retainer, you're kind of just spreading the project over a longer lifetime of the project. Um, So it's a case of it's not a retainer for the same service per se. You're offering something uh, that the client might need as they evolve and improve while working with you. So, for example, might be if I was leading with branding, I might complete the branding and then maybe six weeks after, I might check in and go, look, you know, do you need any social media graphics? Because I can help you with that. Or do you need social media sort of strategy? Then I know someone who can help you with that. And then another six weeks might pass and I might go, have you thought about building an email list? Would you like help with that? Another six weeks will pass and I go, what about like video marketing, you know, for social media and your website? Have you got anyone doing your videos? And I would slowly kind of break down what I felt the client needed over, say, a year. And I'd work out, okay, what can I deliver and what can I give to a trusted third party? So this way, I am offering a kind of retainer because I'm, you know, they are continuing to work with me, but I'm changing the offer as I think it's in their best interest. I think when sometimes, for example, if I sell branding and then you sell a retainer kind of just to have me around doing bits and bobs, that's when I think it begins to fail because there's no real reason to have me around and you're just looking to spend the hours you've got on stuff you don't really need. And that's when it starts to fail. Um, So what I would always look to do is, depending on the service you're selling, so like if you're selling Facebook ads, obviously there's a kind of continuity thing there which makes a lot more sense. I would always look to try and... uh, cross-sell or upsell like an additional service or or add in value to keep the client excited uh, that goes beyond kind of check-ins, audits and just like this is what we're doing. I always think you've got to come with new ideas and new solutions and that kind of thing. Um, And then I think that it's all down to kind of building your retainer in the right way. So things I would probably consider building into the retainer would be um, a sort of insurance policy thing, which is um, if they have a crisis in their business, you will immediately put them to the front of your queue regarding your work and you will pay to the for the cost of bringing in to someone to replace you. So again, if we go back to sort of branding, I'm working on branding and the client has a problem. Um, there's, you know, they want to launch a product quick or they want to change the website or whatever. They might say, look, the coronavirus is hit. We want to offer an online service to our customers who are really struggling to sort of um, get from home, get out from of their home. Um, I would say, fine, I'll jump on that and I'll help you do it. And then whatever that meant as far as my workload, I would incur the cost of bringing someone in to cover that. But that's what they're paying for in the retainer. So it's kind of like an insurance policy, as in they don't need it always, but if there is an emergency, they can get access to me and I'll put them to the front of the queue. So that's always one. And then if there is a kind of thing of you're worried about scope creep or people kind of not being happy with the service they're getting, you could always offer this concept of whatever you want hours. And I've recommended this to clients in the past. And the way this works is you have your kind of standard retainer and what's agreed, and then you have this kind of buffer of a certain amount of whatever you want hours. And what that means is when you're working on a retainer and with a client, you can say, look, um, your monthly retainer is is where you're using it up, uh, but there's still stuff we need to do. Would you like us to take it out of your whatever you want hours and we'll continue to do it? That way the client kind of feels they don't have to pay extra to fulfill the service, even if they've gone over their monthly quota. And because the whatever you want hours are kind of factored into the price of the retainer anyway, you're not going to get frustrated by being asked to do extra work that is beyond what was agree- the scope of what was agreed in the retainer. 
And so this way, it's kind of, you can always say, look, you've got a few uh, hours this month. We've got an idea for you. Would you like to do it? It can come out of your whatever you want hours. And they might go, yeah, brilliant. Let's do that. And this means that you can recommend things to them, which are going to lead to future work and is going to help their business. And it's already been paid for because they've obviously paid for those hours. But then there is this thing of like, they feel that they're getting to use their kind of bonus hours to, again, get stuff which is sort of beyond what they would have already agreed to in the, in the traditional retainer. So I think when you're selling retainers, it's a case of you probably have to plan long term, both behind the scenes as to what you're going to be offering over the next 12 months. But then you probably need to pair that with a kind of marketing strategy going forward for the client, where you can lay out what the next 12 months will look like and how you're going to help them grow and develop and what services you're going to be able to offer them as they grow and develop to make more money. And I think if people are kind of clear, and um, they have a I guess it's not really a shopping list, but if you do a strategy session and you kind of go, okay, so what are the challenges your customers are facing and what solutions could you provide to help them with those challenges? Let's write all those down and then let's take that list and put it in um, in order of importance and urgency. And then, okay, let's do that list over the next 18 months. So this way, because the client has kind of decided on what they need to do that is going to help their customers, and then you've agreed on where should we start, then you can put in a timeline of like, well, this is going to take, in order to work all this through, it's going to take this amount of time, um, and it's going to cost this amount. Then you're having that discussion, and then I think then you could go, so instead of spending you know, lumps of money here and there and it goes up and down, why don't we just structure it so it's like a kind of payment plan where you commit to a certain fee a month, we make sure all of these things are being done and then if if it runs over, that's on us, which is where the whatever you want hours come in and if you want any extra stuff while we're doing this, we can take that out of your whatever you want hours and I think that would be a good way of structuring the retainer so that they both both parties feel that the, there's a reason for it and there's good development and kind of partnership going forward and then I think it's only fair to kind of factor in reviews every kind of six three you know every three to six months just to make sure everyone's happy to discuss where the improvements can be made but like I said I would I would package this up uh, and I think the best way to package it up is to have a plan of what you're going to be doing but let the client build that shopping list of objectives so that they feel ownership of the project. Hi Thad. What advice would you have for how service providers can maintain relationships with clients or leads until they are ready to invest again? Thank you. So when you're kind of maintaining relationships, I think that's kind of the key is each relationship is slightly different and the client and customer relationship has always got to be kind of what's the best way to do that. So I come across as kind of um, I'm remind them that I exist without being needy or pushy. And it's a real challenge. I think generally um, the best way to do this is the three things that they're going to need, you know, in order for the job to land is they need to know awareness, which is a view. So they need to think, okay, whenever I need X service, I need to go to that person. They need to know that they have the budget available so they can afford you. So they need to be aware of what your prices are or or what they can expect when they ask for a quote. And then they need to know... What happened there? Um, Then they need to know that they need what you offer. So by this, if someone is looking to upgrade their website or get a new rebrand or maybe have new photography done, then they need to know that why that is important to them. And this is where the kind of sort of keep in touch and content marketing would be helpful. So articles which position you as the solution that are genuinely, you know, customer centric and aim to help that customer. That's where I would always start. 
Um, it's not about selling as such. It's kind of explaining the benefits of hiring you for that service and maybe different ways of doing that from testimonials to how-tos to uh, popular examples in the mainstream. It, you know, it's all of those kind of tactics and then finding a way to do that when you communicate with your customers, which might be through social media, it might be through email, it might be through phone calls, it might be through meeting up for a coffee. But I think with all these things, it's a case of it's patience and consistency um, and then exploring other avenues. If you're putting a lot of time into a client that hasn't got budget or isn't prepared to invest, then you're probably not wanting to spend much of your time with that. So um, you need to look at who is going to be likely to invest and who isn't and always be looking to kind of move on and, and trim that list of people so that you're not spending your time with people that won't spend money. So looking to meet new people, ask for referrals, all those kind of things are really helpful. And outside of kind of content marketing and social media and email, I do believe it's kind of a kind of keep in touch strategy um, that is really simple. So the ways I would do it, and a lot of this is kind of from the Book Yourself Solid book by Michael Port. It's very simple, but I really like it. But if you were hosting a monthly workshop or webinar on your subject and teaching people how it can help them, then that's always a good idea because you can promote that and it's that's within their interest. You can pick up the phone and give them a ring. That always is a nice change. You could send them a letter or a postcard, which again is unusual. Um, or, you know, you could just introduce them to someone else as a form of a referral or make it completely unrelated to your work and just send them a link you think that might make them laugh or tag them in a picture. I think there are ways of doing it. It's a case of, it's a bit like spinning plates. You just have to come by and remind them that you exist and be patient and then always be looking to acquire new customers who haven't bought from you yet because they're more likely to buy and then just nurturing the other ones in a way that is going to kind of, is um, not too difficult, not too time consuming, but is value led. Because you can have someone on your email list for six months, six years before they buy and they might place a huge order. The value is in, well, if I do the email list every week and I commit to that and I accept this, then I just have to be patient and I have to sort of do it without expectations. So it is a case of there's no quick and hard and fast rule. It is all relationships are slightly different and people respond differently. You've just got to be committed to sort of putting it out there and I think always having a kind of churn rate of acquiring new customers so you've got money coming in and then maybe pushing the older customers who aren't purchasing as much into a, a way of keeping in touch that's less sort of high maintenance for you and this would be kind of just through social media and email and then the more hands-on would be meetings, phone calls, workshops and uh, sending gifts and stuff like that. I hope that helps. Hey Thad, how you doing? Thanks for taking my call. I was wondering if you had any advice to any business owners who may have extra time on their hands, what they can do with that extra time to prepare their business for um, when the economy rebounds and everything gets back to normal. Would you have them first work on anything specific, any types of uh, efforts, or uh, would you recommend an overall plan? There's a phrase that Gary Vaynerchuk uses, which is to put yourself out of business. And he talks about doing it on a regular basis. And effectively, what he means by this is looking at your business and your industry and pretending to be a rival and saying, OK, where are the weaknesses? And if I was to come into this industry, what would I launch with uh, in order to put other people out of business or take their market share? And I kind of think that that is a useful ex sort of experiment you could be doing on your own business fairly often. 
um, just because it forces you to be a bit more objective. And the goal really is if you can think of ways of putting you out, yourself out of business, then I think you'll probably come up with, um, you know, ways of making money because you might come up with, you know, new products or services. The current situation we're in at the moment means that a lot of people have had this sort of situation forced on them with no planning at all. So it's kind of tricky. But what I would always encourage businesses to do is you have to impose restrictions on yourself to see how you can cope and you have to try and work out, okay, what does the future hold? So first of all, everything has got to be validated by your customers. So if you can get into LinkedIn and Facebook groups and talk to your customers about what services they want that aren't currently you know, being provided by, you know, provided for by anyone else. That's always great insight, you know, going back to your customers and saying, how can I serve you better, will give you basically validated ideas for new products or services. So that's always a good start. After that, I mean, it's a case of trying to impose restrictions on yourself um, to see how you cope. So little things that I do when I do workshops with clients is, if you were to run your business, could you run it on in a variety of ways so little things would be such as could it work as a one-to-one business kind of face-to-face consulting could it work where you teach a group of people in like a sort of workshop format could it work one-on-one online kind of you know zoom seminar consulting could it work in a community so like a big facebook group where people pay a subscription fee for access to you could you sell it as an online course all these kind of things could you put it in a book could you turn it into a podcast? You know, all of these questions. And then the final one is always um, the $1,000 burger question, which is what is the ultimate version of your service? Um, I'll explain the story. Actually, it's probably easier. But so if you were running a restaurant and you put on your menu, we have a $1,000 burger, it doesn't take you any time at all to add that to your menu. And you can add to your website and whatever. But what it means is whoever orders it has to order it in advance and then you can create it. But by putting it on there, you test the market as far as what will people pay for what we offer. And if people say, yeah, I'll buy the $1,000 burger, what is it? Just because they will, and people are a little bit like that. Then the next question is, okay, maybe we offer a $5,000 burger. And the question, the answer to that question is always, what does that look like? What is the amazing top-end equivalent of what you offer and what you do? You know, how can you make that amazingly bespoke and really desirable to your audience? Because... If you're typically selling branding at £10,000, say, but you have a £150,000 branding package, whatever that looks like, you could spend the entire year trying to sell that. And then when you do sell it, you only need to sell one and you're set for the entire year. It completely changes your business model. So I call it a $1,000 burger question because it forces people to think about what's the ultimate luxury version of what they offer and is that viable. But the whole point of all of these questions is to go, if I was, in, if I could... If I had to work from home or I couldn't leave my house, could my business still run? And a lot of businesses can if you reframe how you run that business. So, you know, but obviously not all can. You know, if you run a restaurant, you could do delivery. Um, if you run a hotel, you could probably do, I mean, it's going to be hard on, under the current climate, but you could turn it into holiday letting. There, there are things of where you take um, what you have, your kind of setup and your your facility, and then you go, how could I use it differently? So I'll use an example for the restaurants one. 
if you have a restaurant, you typically have a dining room and you have a kitchen and you spend most of your day trying to get customers in the dining room to keep your staff in the kitchen happy and to make sure you sell out of all your perishable goods. This involves marketing to people all the time, trying to find reliable staff and trying to find reliable chefs. The problem is staff are hard to come by, chefs can be difficult and customers don't want to eat out, especially if they're under pressure financially or it's a Tuesday lunchtime. So often the dining room is empty or there are certainly long periods of the day where it's empty and then you have chefs who are unmotivated because no one's coming in for their food and the whole time your food is going off. So the way to flip this on its head is to say, okay, could we empty the dining room and now we don't take customers, we only do delivery. Because if I turn the dining room into a co-working space, that means freelancers who need an office space will be in there all the time. And they want somewhere nice to have meetings and to work. So that might be an option. Now, let's look at the food in the kitchen. I can use my facility to do a delivery-only service. So I still occupy my chefs. I don't need to worry about my staff because I don't need them. And I'm going to use up all my perishable goods. So now we go from a delivery service from a restaurant to a delivery option. We take the narrative further and we go, what if when it's quiet and during the day when people don't want delivery, I could use the chefs to start doing content so they could not only kind of do content about me and them and and the story of our business and giving away recipes, but they could also teach those recipes online. And now we can do a cooking school and a recipe book all from our business and we can actually host you know, cooking schools in the premises. So you've got online cooking school, in-person cooking school, and you've got a recipe book. Now, who are the people who are going to help me create and market that? Yeah, it's the freelancers sitting in the, in the what was the dining room. They're going to help me film and edit it. They're going to help me do the Facebook ads to promote it. They're going to help get my website optimized, all these kind of things. So now what I'm running is a freelance co-working space in the main dining room during the day. In the evenings, I'm doing cooking schools and delivery And the whole time I'm managing to keep people in business and occupied and busy and I'm changing my business where I'm very reliant on people walking through the door to now it's a global business where I can work with anyone and I can actually raise the profile of the business and the people behind it and then that will lead to more business opportunities. The whole point is you've taken your existing space, you've rethought about how can we do it differently. And I think this is something you would encourage all businesses to do, to question the space they have available and try and think, how could I use this differently to still serve my audience? And that way, if you ask your audience what they want, you look at the space you have available and how could you shift your business by asking what's a thousand dollar burger equivalent of what we do and imposing restrictions on you, such as what if I could hadn't you know, I couldn't leave my house to run this business, but I could give instruction to someone else to run it, or I had to take the entire thing online, what would that look like? These are the kind of restrictions you want to be imposing on yourselves and on your businesses to see if you can adjust them and build them so that they're much more future-proofed. And what will come of this will be a much more lean and impressive business model, but also if you're not under house arrest or, you know, lockdown because of a coronavirus, you've actually developed a new product or service ahead of your rivals and that's going to give you a massive competitive advantage. So this is the whole thing of what I would say is what customers need to look at is firstly cash flow, have I got enough money? Then what do my customers want? And then how can I change my business model to meet that but also future-proof myself so that I'm not wasting money and I'm able to access a global audience? And this is what you're finding at the moment. Everyone is going online The problem is that they're rushing to go online before they've considered, is there a need for their service? And how is their business going to operate coming out the back end of this? 
because what the changes we make now are the changes we need to be making in order to future-proof our business. So on the back end, we can actually excel in the post-corona era rather than just reverting to what we did before and struggling. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I love doing these question and answer formats. So please send me your questions. If you want to follow, you can go to thadducation.com or you can search for the Thadducation Facebook group. My email is thad at thadducation and you can follow me on Instagram at thadducation. There's loads of ways to keep in touch. But all I would ask is that you share, tell other people about it if you found it valuable and subscribe. And like I said, send us your questions. I promise I will answer them because I love doing this. Have a great day.